it's time for the message. And I struggled with a title to give the sermon for this morning. There was a few different creative ones that I was thinking of. Two sowers, uh, two seeds, but I decided to just go with one that we would all recognize. And uh, we, know the, we know the story, we know the parable well, but there are many, many things that we have yet to learn from this story, more than perhaps meets the eye at a first glance. So I would invite you to bow with me as we prepare to enter God's word. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that by it we have truth, that it is the standard that we live our lives by, and it is by your word that we determine what is right, what is wrong, what is sin, and what is not. And so, Father, we base our lives upon your word, and we thank you that it is not just something from the past, but that it is living and active, and that by your Holy Spirit, it can be new and fresh for us today. So bless your word. Speak through me, your servant. I pray. May the words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a old MIT school legend about a student from MIT, which is famous for pulling off pranks of all types and stripes. This legend goes that this one student spent an entire summer going to the Harvard football field every day, wearing a black and white striped shirt, walking up and down the football field for about 10 or 15 minutes each day, throwing bird seed and blowing a whistle. Then, after this 10 or 15 minutes of walking up and down the field, blowing the whistle, scattering the bird seed, he would just leave. Well, the first few times he did this, the pigeons in the area were scared off by the whistle and the sight of him walking up and down the field. But the moment he left, they would descend in great flocks to devour the bird seed. However, as the weeks went by, the pigeons gradually grew accustomed to the the sound and the sight of this man walking up and down the field, and even before he was finished, they would descend for their feast of birdseed even while he was still on the field. Well, at the end of the summer, it came time for the first Harvard home football game. As the game was about to begin, the referee, wearing his black and white striped shirt, walked onto the field and blew the whistle. Now, can you imagine what happened? Apparently, the game had to be delayed for over half an hour to wait for the flocks of pigeons to leave off of the field. Now, had you been watching this young MIT student going about his strange, bizarre behavior throughout the summer, walking up and down the football field, blowing his whistle, scattering birdseed, if you'd been in the stands watching him do this, you probably wouldn't have understood the point of his bizarre and seemingly harmless behavior. But the moment football season began, his purpose would have become abundantly clear. That MIT student did all of that in order to accomplish two specific goals. First, he wanted to write his master's thesis on conditioned response in order to graduate from MIT. And second, and perhaps most importantly, he wanted to pull off the ultimate prank against their school's rivals at Harvard by cleverly and secretly causing the maximum amount of confusion and chaos. Now we see in Jesus' parable in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30, that this MIT prank closely parallels the work of the enemy who is cleverly and secretly sowing weeds and tares amongst the good seed 
planted by Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn there with me to Matthew chapter 13, and we are going to spend the majority of our time there. Let's refresh our memory on this parable. I'll begin reading in verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Then the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. Now, we learn from Jesus' private explanation given later on to his disciples in Matthew 13, verses 37 to 43, that in this parable, the sower represents Jesus. The good seed represents the sons of the kingdom. The enemy represents the devil, or Satan. The weeds represent the sons of the evil one. And the soil represents the whole world. The focus of this parable is on the two different types of seeds which are planted in the world. The good seed is planted by Jesus. And the weeds, or the bad seed, is planted by the devil. Now there are four major lessons that I would like to draw out for your attention this morning from this parable. The first lesson is this. Jesus is advancing the kingdom of heaven throughout the world. Matthew wrote his gospel because he wants his reader to know this one crucial truth. When Jesus Christ descended from heaven to earth, when he was born as a human babe in that manger, he brought the kingdom of God from heaven down to earth. And we see this theme repeated throughout the gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, we see John the Baptist announce, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In Matthew 4.23, we read that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And in Matthew 11, verse 12, Jesus says, From the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent men are attacking it. So here we see just a snapshot that Wherever Jesus went, the kingdom of heaven forcefully advanced with him. Wherever his feet trod, the kingdom of the devil was being pushed back. Sinners were receiving forgiveness. The sick were being healed. Demons were being cast out and sent running, and once even into a herd of pigs, which went off a cliff. So we see wherever Jesus is, the kingdom of heaven is too. And one day, it will have reached every single nation on earth. For as Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 14, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So now the simple fact that the end has not yet come tells us that there is still more work to be done. More souls to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and ushered into the kingdom of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. But this raises a question. Since Jesus, from the time of his ascension, has left this earth and returned to heaven, now sitting at the right hand of the Father, we know that he is no longer physically upon this earth. So how exactly is Jesus still advancing the kingdom of heaven upon earth? 
Well, the answer is brilliant, really. You see, Jesus is now doing his work of advancing the kingdom through us, his children, which this parable points out he has planted in this world. You see, at the time of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, Jesus' divine presence was given to each disciple by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And since that day, Jesus has literally multiplied his presence millions of times over throughout the nations of the world in his children. So what does this mean for all of us? Well, it means that if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit is alive and well within you, then that means that Christ is alive and well within you. And so wherever you go, the kingdom of heaven goes too. And wherever your feet trod, the kingdom of heaven is advancing against the kingdom of darkness. You see, it is we, the church, followers of Jesus Christ, we are God's plan to reach the nations with the gospel of the kingdom. And as others have said before, we are God's plan A, and he doesn't have a plan B. We are it. So it is up to us to bring this gospel of the good news of the kingdom to all nations, to every tongue, tribe, and creed. And Jesus says, once this is accomplished, then the end will come. So let me ask you, how engaged are you in advancing the kingdom of heaven in this world? How advanced are you in engaging the kingdom of heaven in your family, in your school, on your sports team, at your workplace, or in your neighborhood? Because remember, wherever you go, you are bringing Jesus' presence with you. So, let your light shine in such a way that the darkness will be pushed back. As Jesus said, don't hide your light under a bushel. No, put it up on its stand. Let it shine for all to see. And by its very nature, when light is shining, it pushes back the darkness. So, are we letting our light shine in such a way? Are we advancing the gospel in such a way that the darkness is being pushed back? I pray that we are, because this, this is Jesus' plan from the very beginning, that we would go out multiplying his presence throughout the world, throughout the world, advancing the message of the kingdom. This is the first lesson from the parable. The second is this. The enemy is fighting back. Now, the enemy who is identified as Satan or the devil, well, we know that he hates God's kingdom. He hates the fact that God's kingdom is advancing throughout the world, and he has been fighting back ever since. But we also know that even though he is fighting back, because Jesus died the perfect atoning death for sin upon the cross, once for all, and then rose victorious from the grave, defeating sin and death, we know that Satan's final defeat has been guaranteed, and that the kingdom of God will ultimately prevail in the end. But still, Satan refuses to give up, doesn't he? He is still alive and well, active in this world today. And he continues to sow weeds in amongst the good seed. We can see this in a multitude of ways throughout our world. He loves to destroy nations and cause wars. Look at this past century, the bloodiest century in human history, where untold millions upon tens of millions were killed needlessly through war. And we see those wars still going on in the world today. Just look as well at how fractured our world is today. 
how in the West the political climate is growing increasingly divisive and hostile. It seems as though the two camps couldn't be more split or divided. Look at how war with Islamic terrorism never seems to end, and where other larger conflicts seem to be teetering on the brink of all-out war. The devil also loves to divide and destroy closer to home. He loves to divide and destroy marriages and families. And I don't even think I need to give examples of this, as the evidence is all around us. And of course, what the devil loves most of all is to attack the church, to sow seeds of discord and division within a church body with the aim of either disrupting her mission of bringing the gospel message to the world or destroying her witness entirely and in fact placing a stumbling block before the lost even coming to know him. And many of us know firsthand the devastation that this can cause. Yes, the kingdom of heaven is advancing, but the enemy is still fighting back. And this is very important for us to grasp. I think one of the most dangerous attitudes within Christianity in Canada today is this belief that Satan isn't doing, much any, doing anything much anymore. Uh, we can let our guard down because he's not really that active. But in contrast to that attitude, Peter writes, the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking those he may devour. Now let me ask you, what is the easiest prey for a lion to devour? Is it the prey that is on its guard, vigilant, watching at the watering hole? Or is it the prey who is nonchalantly at the watering hole, not watching its back, and the lion can sneak up on it easily to devour it? Of course we know the answer. It is the prey that is not vigilant. This is the one who is easily devoured. And so we must be vigilant. Scripture says elsewhere that we must be alert and on our guard, for our adversary goes about this way. So make no mistake about it. Our adversary is real and he is active. Satan hates Christ. He hates God's children and he hates the church. And that means that he hates you and me and would love nothing more than to destroy and devour us. But here is the good news. He is ultimately unable to do so. Why? 1 John 4 verse 4 tells us why. It says this, You are from God, little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This great promise from God assures us that though the enemy is real, he is active. Yes, we need to respect that he is going to attack, that he is going to tempt, he's going to do everything he can to disrupt. Through faith in Jesus Christ, he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And our power in him, through our power in him, we can overcome. Christ is in you. He is greater. And so we too can overcome the enemy's attacks. But still, we must be aware the enemy is fighting back. The third thing this lesson tells us is that we must be patient for the weeds to be removed. Notice how in verse 28, the servants immediately notice the weeds. They go to their master and they ask this question. Do you want us to go and pull up the weeds? Now, isn't this exactly what any one of us would do? Isn't this what any good farmer or gardener would do? You see weeds in the field, you see weeds in the garden, get rid of them. Pull them up. Get them out of there. The fact is, those weeds are competing with the good crop. 
They are robbing it of valuable moisture and nutrients, stunting its growth, and if entirely left unchecked, they could potentially choke out the good, blocking out the sun and causing it to die altogether. And so for all of these reasons, you want to get rid of those weeds as quickly as possible. At least, that would be human wisdom. But how does the master reply? Look at verse 29. No, he answers, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Now let me ask you a question. Are you good at spotting a counterfeit? If you were to be given money, one counterfeit, one real, would you be able to tell the difference between the two? Well, there's a story of a not-so-bright fellow who decided that he was going to become a counterfeiter. He was going to make his fortune this way, and so he hired an engraver of equal intelligence, and they proceeded to produce some counterfeit money. By some mix-up, however, the money they turned out was $11 bills. Well, not wanting to waste their effort, they, they decided that they were going to head out to this backwoods, isolated hillbilly town where he figured that he could cash these bogus bills. And so he goes into the small general store in this backwoods town and he asks the hillbilly clerk if he had change for an $11 bill. Without skipping a beat, the clerk replied, sure do. Would an eight and a three be okay? Now, the reality is, Not all counterfeits are that easy to spot, are they? Not all are that easy to pick out. Because you see, back to the parable, it wasn't just any old weed that the enemy sowed amongst the wheat. It wasn't just Canada thistle or ragweed or something that you could just instantly see, well, this just doesn't belong here. No, the enemy who sowed the weeds amongst the wheat was very clever in what he did. Because the, the weed that he would have planted is a plant specific to the Middle East. It doesn't grow in the West, thankfully. It's a plant known as Darnell. And scholar R.T. France says this about the plant known as Darnell. It is a poisonous plant related to wheat, which is virtually indistinguishable from wheat until the ears form. To sow Darnell amongst wheat as an act of revenge was punishable in Roman law. So therefore, it probably depicts a real-life situation which would have actually occurred. Now, can you imagine that? Having someone want to take revenge upon you so they go and sow weed seeds amongst your field? Now, I know Mennonites are supposed to be pacifists, but that might bring out the <laughs> something else in some of the farmers present here today. Because, well, I don't think they've made Roundup-ready wheat yet. I know they're working on it. But nonetheless, to have an enemy come and to sow, deliberately sow weeds amongst your good crop of wheat, well, this is malicious. But to take it even further, to deliberately seed it with something that you couldn't immediately distinguish from wheat is even more devious. Wheat and Darnell look almost identical. And this shows just how cunning, clever, and malicious Satan is. When he plants a lie, does he make it obvious? No. He is subtle. He is clever. He loves to sow seeds of discord and division everywhere, disguising them in such a way as to cause maximum confusion and chaos. One prime example of this in our culture today is in regards 
to human sexuality. God's plan from the very beginning, even as we saw in the video today, his plan was that sexuality was to be enjoyed exclusively between one man and one woman in a committed, lifelong union. We look at our culture and how the trend has gone for the past number of decades. We can go all the way back to 1967, the so-called Summer of Love, which began to change all of this in our culture. Once the institute of marriage was respected, of course there were those who would go outside of it, but in our culture as a whole, marriage was something that was looked highly upon. But in 1967, it began to cultivate a different attitude. It began to cultivate an air that sex outside of marriage, outside of the bounds of marriage, was okay, and it began to be normalized. And this, of course, has gone on further and further ever since. Then in the past 15 years, we have seen how the entire LGBTQ movement has gradually overtaken our nation and now enveloped it to the point where it is celebrated in every single city across this land. Slogans like, it's just love, or even in the recent Chevrolet TV ad, love who you want to love. All of these things cleverly disguise what is actually happening. Now, of course, the Bible teaches that the highest of all virtues is love. So then the indictment thrown against Christians who speak against something that the Bible calls sin, we are instantly said, well, you are not being loving. And many young or immature Christians are deceived by this. Are you beginning to see how clever the enemy is? Because, of course, the mature Christian knows that sin, even dressed up in the slogans of love, is still sin. You see, we don't set our standard for what sin is by the whims of culture or man's opinion. We set the standard by God's word. For this is the standard that Christians are called to live their lives by. God has set the standard. This is what we follow, not what culture says. And yet, the enemy is clever. And so he takes the highest Christian virtue of love and he uses it to mask something that the Bible calls sin. The mature Christian knows that even dressed up in the slogans of love, sin is still sin and that the wages of sin is still death. Take, for instance, if your friend is holding a bottle of strychnine poison, but it is labeled as, say, Love Potion 99. Your friend is about to drink this bottle of strychnine poison. What do you do? Do you warn them? Or do you let them drink it for fear of being labeled intolerant or bigoted or unloving? You see, true love, the highest expression of love, will still warn their friend. That as the scriptures clearly state, flee all sexual immorality. And this includes everything. It's not just the homosexual lifestyle. It's adultery. It's sex outside of marriage. Homosexuality or pornography. The Bible says flee it all. Run away from it. Because all of these things are poison to the soul. And they lead to despair, heartache, and eventually, if left unchecked, death. But today, many, many Christians in Canada and across the West, are being deceived by Satan's cunning deception in this area, or they have been intimidated into silence. And so this age in which we live calls for courage and for much wisdom. For if we attempt to run about and weed out every single person who's struggling in this or any area for that matter, we will do far more harm than good 
and do untold damage to others in the process. And this is why Jesus the Master says to his, to his servants, let them grow up together and let me sort them out in the end. Because you see, though Wheat and Darnell start out looking virtually identical, by the time they are full grown, the difference becomes obvious and they are easily separated. And what is the primary difference? Well, it is in the fruit that they bear. You see, Darnell is poisonous, if ingested. Whereas wheat seed, of course, is good, and it feeds the world. And you will recognize the counterfeit not so much by what they say, but by the fruit that their lives bear. Now, this is very important. Just because someone claims to be a Christian, even acts like one at times, does not mean that this person is a Christian. Some people are counterfeits and not true believers in Jesus Christ. As Keith Green once pointedly said, going to church no more makes you a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. Has anyone heard that one before? I think it applies. So what is the key, the key to recognizing wheat from weeds? Well, it's this. Ongoing transformation into the likeness of Christ. You see, a person of the wheat category, they are not perfect. Of course, there will still be errors, there will be sin, there will be lapses in judgment. But the person who is in the wheat category in Christ has been changed by the transforming power of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And from there, they continue to grow. They continue to mature, to live more in line with God's word, more for Christ, and become more like Christ. It is an ongoing process of transformation, one that God says, he who, he who began the good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion. I'm not at the day of completion yet, but by God's grace, I am growing and maturing by his power at work within me. And I pray that you are as well. This is how we can identify those in the wheat category. Now, those who are not... Here, it is not our place to pass judgment. However, within the church body, it is our place to be discerning and to lovingly warn, correct, or even rebuke where necessary, but it is not our place to pass judgment or to pull out the weeds. And I, for one, am so thankful for this. Judgment belongs solely to the Master. For Jesus concludes his teaching in verses 40 to 43 with this. So it will be at the end of the age... The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Now this message of coming judgment wasn't popular in Jesus' day, and it's not a popular message in our day either. After all, who wants to think about final judgment, especially if you're not sure about how it's going to come out for you. And it's for this reason that many people refuse to consider Jesus at all. Because they don't want to believe in a God who will send people to hell for their sin. But simply not thinking about it, or rejecting it, won't change the truth. It's like when I know I have a dentist appointment coming up. I don't like the dentist. Well, I like Kevin Mark. He's a good friend of mine. But I don't like the dentist, his other role. And uh, <laughs> I don't like going to the dentist. I should clarify. I don't like what he does to me. 
And so when it's coming up, I try not to think about it. I try to pretend as though it's not even coming. And so I hate it when people bring it up ahead of time to, you know, get under my skin. Oh, you know, those needles are going to poke in there, Danny. Ugh, I hate needles. Don't want to think about it. But even though I try my best not to think about it, does that change the end result? No, it doesn't. The end result is still needles, drool, drills, bright lights, and pain. It all happens whether I want to think about it ahead of time or not. And Jesus is very clear here that there will be a final separation whether we want it to or not. And so he is telling his audience, think about it now. Think about it today while you still have a choice to choose the kingdom of heaven over the kingdom of darkness. Today is the day to think about it. Don't put it off. Don't avoid it. Because one way or another, the end will come. Today is the day to consider. Where do I stand? Are you wheat or darnell today? Are you counterfeit or currency? Child of darkness or child of the kingdom? These are things to consider today. And I want to end today with the good news of the kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Verses 20 to 21 continues, We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me tell you that today you can place your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin right now. I said earlier that the wages of sin is death, but Romans 6.23 doesn't end there. It goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, by receiving God's gift, you too can be transformed from darnell to wheat, from counterfeit to currency from child of darkness into a son or daughter of the kingdom of heaven, where you will shine like the sun in the presence of God the Father. My prayer for each one of you here today, and all listening elsewhere, is that today you will choose Jesus. And as we close this service, I'm going to say a prayer that you can pray along with me in your own heart and mind if you want to make sure that you have eternity squared away with God our Father and that you are a child of the kingdom. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us an opportunity, a day of grace, where we can hear the truth from your word, and that we can consider what it means for us. You ended this parable with these fitting words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Lord, we know that you weren't talking about physical ears, you were talking about spiritual ears, the ears of the heart. Lord, everyone here today heard the words verbally, audibly, in their own physical ears, but Lord, I pray that you would open the ears of the heart to understand that this message is for each one of us, and that today we can say yes to you, Jesus, that we can say yes to your salvation and receive your forgiveness of sins receive you in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives to begin that transformation 
that we can become children of the kingdom. And so I pray that right now, anyone who is ready to pray this prayer would just pray in their own heart and mind these words along with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've fallen short of God's perfect standard. And so I believe that you died on the cross for those sins in my, in my place. That the punishment I deserved you took on yourself. I believe that. And so I ask that you would forgive me for my sins. That you would come into my life and begin that work of transformation. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. And now, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, would you confirm anyone who's made that decision that even though here and now you may not feel anything, the Bible says the angels of heaven rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. And so we pray, Lord, that that could be done for your glory and for our good. And now, Lord, for all of us who are children of yours, who have made this decision perhaps long ago, I pray that we would go out from here today recognizing that wherever our feet trod, your kingdom is advancing and that it advances through your presence within us. So give us courage and give us much wisdom as we go about this task in the age in which we live. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.